Welcome to C-Suite Radio. Author John Acuff is on the podcast today, and I am excited to chat with him. This was a great conversation. We are talking about his brand new book, Soundtracks, A Surprising Solution to Overthinking. And we dig deep about this book. We do an introspective check and deal with this topic of overthinking and how it affects our everyday lives. I think this is going to be an enjoyable episode for you. Be sure to head over to brettallenshow.com for all of the latest episodes and enjoy today's episode with New York Times bestseller, John Acuff. You're listening to The Brett Allen Show, a pop culture podcast. Have you subscribed to this show yet? I've tried bribes, I've tried gifts. You should. It's absolutely free. I even sent him some pet oxen. Now back to the show with your host, Brad Allen. Idly hey! Welcome to another episode of The Brad Allen Show. Prepare to be astonished! A pop culture podcast. Join Brett Weekly as he interviews your favorite celebrities from film, <gasps> oh, television, I'm back in business, baby. comedy, and much more. Inconceivable! Plus, you never know who will stop by. Dude, we are so gonna party! Now, here is your host, Brett Allen. We are talking with author John Acuff. I was listening to your interview that you did with musician and author Derek Webb. And really, that's what inspired me to reach out and have you on the show, because I felt like that was such a fantastic conversation. And this book that you have written, and I have it here with me, we'll show some of this video later, Soundtracks, uh, The Surprising Solution to Overthinking. I think this is really the perfect book for 2020, 2021. Did you have a crystal ball when you wrote this book knowing that <laughs> we would be going to such crazy times? No, no, not, not at all. The timing was definitely accidental. Um, and it, you know, I, I wrote it before the pandemic. It wasn't, you know, I was done with it in April of 2020. So it was done before things really kind of changed. Um, and you know, we, we did a big study. We asked 10,000 people, me and the PhD, this guy, Mike Peasley, who researches with me, we asked 10,000 people if they struggle with overthinking and 99.5% of them said yes. And that was before 2020, 2020 was catnip for overthinking. I mean, everything has extra layers of thought on it. So I, I felt fortunate at the timing. I mean, it's kind of, it's six in one hand, half a dozen, the other, like, most of my business is public speaking. So I would love to launch a book with my ability to go out and talk about it. But at the same time, I feel really fortunate that there's a lot of people that are going, wait a second, this is helping me after a really tough year. Um, and so it's been, it's been interesting, the timing of it, but yeah, I would be lying if I was like, I saw this coming. Like, no, not at all. Not <laughs> yeah. at all, dude. No, no, I know. I'm joking mostly. Well, I tell you, I am a classic overthinker and sure. to the point where it has caused issues in relationships. And this is not a therapy session per se, but I have to say this book really changed my thinking, so to speak, uh, tongue in cheek about being an overthinker. And there's a lot of things that I want to talk about. But one of the things that I find very revealing and that I think it was great that you addressed in the book is that this problem or this process of overthinking is not gender specific. You know, we say women are overthinkers, men are overthinkers, but really we all have the potential to overthink. 
Yeah, that was, I mean, it's not gender specific. It's not personality type specific. You know, I, I think, I think we all have the ability to do it. Could, could you argue that some personality types are more prone? I guess, but I, I mean, that was probably the first surprise in the research was how many people raised their hands. And it's one of those things that everybody does, but they often think they're the only one. So that just isolates you. You think, oh, like nobody overthinks this stuff. And then if you're honest with other people, other people go, no, I, I did that too. Or no, I thought that too. Um, so that was what was really fun. But yeah, I don't think by any means it's, it's gender specific. I think everybody has the potential. Um, the amount might change, I guess, or the time you spend doing it might change or which things you apply overthinking to might change. But I think it's a universal challenge. I think for me personally, and just some of the people that I've talked to in this business, working with a lot of celebrities like yourself and authors, one of the things that I feel can be a common theme is that our past failures or when things don't go the way that we expect them to, that is what can oftentimes lend itself to overthinking, right? I mean, really, because if we make a series of mistakes or things don't go the way that we want, then when it comes time to make that decision again, it's like, forget about it. You know, it's, we become paralyzed. Yeah. I think that's a, I think that can be definitely be one of the causes. Um, I kind of, I call that like your pocket jury, um, the collection of negative thoughts, negative mistakes you've made that are kind of like this jury you carry around in your pocket. So when you think about doing the next thing, they're right there. I mean, an example for me, I always ask people like, are there any old criticisms that you're still carrying around? And I know for me, there was a dude named Josh who like seven years ago was like, I've already seen that tweet. You already did that joke before. And I, I wanted to say like, I should have checked my 70,000 tweets before I sent this one out on the free platform. But then what happens is like, if I add that dude to my pocket jury, when I sit down to create something, I hear like, remember, it has to be brand new. You don't want to disappoint Josh. And you're like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> A dude on Twitter. Now, like, that's the thing that like, speaking of celebrities, I'm always fascinated when you see an article and it'll be like, so-and-so, like somebody super famous, like, I don't know, Ellen, whoever claps back at troll. And you'll go look, and it'll be one person on Instagram, no profile, clearly fake, but like, it's one person with four followers and they responded and you want to go, you're Ellen, you shouldn't need to worry about that. And, and not that she did that specifically, but I think it's so easy to forget like, She's a human, another human attacked her. She saw that and she, she interacted with that. So I think it's really human to be wounded by other people. And the problem with that is when somebody throws a rock at you, they usually have forgotten it. The person that got hit by the rock has not forgotten it. Like, so when somebody online throws an insult and it hits you, you remember that in a different way than the person that threw it. So I think that's part of the challenge. Um, and you have to continually, if you're going to create new things, leave those things on the side. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. That's very true. You know, it's like one person, the bully from grade school is controlling you from doing something in life that happened. Well, and you still, you would never take a fourth graders advice. Like that's no. the thing. Some jerk told you something in the fourth grade, like, and you currently in your thirties or forties wouldn't go up to a fourth grade and go, yeah, hey, I'm thinking about writing a book. I wanted to get your opinion. I know you're 10. But what do you like? You'd never. But somebody said something to you in the eighth grade and you're still going, well, a 12 year old told me this 20 years ago. So it must still <laughs> be true. So I'm not going to like, yeah, if you can put that picture like you find some kids skating in your neighborhood and you're like, I'm going to go check in on my career with these guys. You'd never do that. 
Right. Or my six and a half year old, I oftentimes let control my emotions. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So like, it's a weird, it's a weird thing to give that person the keys. Right. And his mom will go, did it ever stop to, did you ever consider the fact that he's six and his thinking is very limited? It's very. We're obviously not together, but you get the point. Not to, again, focus on my kid. So the overarching theme from what I get in this book is really having people be able to take this situation of overthinking and really turn it into a superpower. And you refer to it as a soundtrack because that makes perfect sense, but really changing the way that we think with some very practical tools and get past this idea of of overthinking situations too much. When you did your survey and you kind of were researching this, what were some of the percentages that you came up with and your team that the percentage of people who overall overthink? Well, I mean, the, the, the one that the first one was that, you know, 99.5% of people said they overthink. And then we got surveys back from people that would say, I kept overthinking the survey. I couldn't complete it. And (laughs) there were five or six questions on the, it wasn't like it was a thousand questions. Um, So we were really surprised by that. And then I think the other thing we were surprised by is the number of situations. So there were people that were overthinking their careers, relationships, diets, um, writing books, starting podcasts, any kind of, I want to do something in my life, you could overthink. The way I, the way I tell people, and, and soundtrack is just my phrase for repetitive thought. Um, I ask people this, if you want to identify a broken soundtrack, something that's kind of getting in the way, um, write down a desire, write down a hope. Okay. I want to start a podcast. I want to ask somebody out. I want to, you know, launch a business. I want to get a job promotion, whatever, write down something that you want to accomplish and then listen to your first thoughts, listen to the reaction. Cause every reaction is an education. And if the reaction is, well, I don't have what it takes. I'm too old. I'm too young. Other people have it easier. There's, I don't have enough time. Like if it's anything that's not positive and encouraging, you probably have a broken soundtrack that you want to look at and go, am I going to keep listening to this? Like, am I going to keep putting this on replay? Um, because it's probably not the best thing for me. Yeah. And as somebody who has a background in sales, writing things down is very helpful. And it's just super important because it helps you achieve those goals, whether it's a podcast or you want to buy a new car or save money or have a family someday. I think it's super important. One of the key points in this book is the three R's uh, that help change your thoughts from a super problem into a superpower. I want to talk about those it's retire, replace, and repeat. I think this is a very good process. John, can we break this down a little bit for our listeners? Sure. Because there's so many things in this book, but really, I think this is one of a few things that I've pulled out of this that I want to sort of relate to our audience a little bit and, and kind of break through these a little bit more. Totally. So part of the challenge with overthinking is we often have complicated solutions. Like it's already complicated. And we write, you know, have a 900 page book about over, like the last thing an overthinker needs is a 900 page book. Um, And so I really, through the research, figured out, okay, in the simplest terms, you want to do three things. You want to retire your broken soundtracks. So I'm going to stop listening to this. I've been listening to this on repeat. I'm going to stop it. You want to replace it with a new soundtrack. So it's not enough just to kind of clear the house. You want to replace it with something that's positive. The third thing you do is you repeat that new one so often it becomes as automatic as the old one. Um, It was interesting within the first 48 hours of the book being released, 
I had a number of readers who would go, I've already listened to it three times on audio. I've read it twice. And the new soundtrack isn't sticking. And I'd go, you've only had it for 48 hours. Like the book hasn't existed that long. You haven't given it much time. Like one of the th worst things we do, you know, take diets, for instance, I'll meet people to go, the exercise plan isn't working. I go, well, how long have you tried it? And they'll say 10 days. And I'll say, well, how long did it take you to gain the weight? And they'll say 10 years. So you gave the problem 10 years to develop and the solution 10 days. And like, what an unkind thing to give the solution. So that's why you have to repeat it. And so if somebody said to me, okay, John, how do I, you know, how do I retire a soundtrack? What does that even mean? There's three questions that I always tell people to ask. Um, you take the soundtrack and you say, number one, is it true? Is the thing I'm telling myself about myself, is it true? Um, the second question, and, and the reason you ask that is one of the worst mistakes you can make is assuming all your thoughts are true. People tend to believe if I think it, it must be true. Even though your thoughts have told you some crazy things before, we tend to think what's, if it's in my brain, it must be true. Second question, is it helpful? Does it push me forward or pull me back? So for instance, I use podcasts as an example, because we're on one. I have a podcast called All It Takes is a Goal. So I love talking about podcasting, but maybe you want to start a podcast and you go, I don't know how to podcast. That might be true. That might hundred percent be true. But is it helpful? Every time you tell yourself that, does it encourage you to research and learn and grow a podcast? Or do you feel defeated and discouraged and you put it off for another day, another month, another year? Third question you ask is, is it helpful? Um, second question, is it helpful? Third question, I'm sorry, is, is it kind? When I tell myself this, is it kind to me? If I told a friend this, would they still want to be my friend? And that, those three questions, if you can't say yes to all of them, you need to retire that podcast. I mean, that uh, soundtrack, I got podcasts on the brain. I know, right? It's, it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it's what we're doing. We're talking into massive mics right now. Yes, that is correct. You have a very nice microphone, by the way. As a side note, it's always comforting when a guest has a microphone that is as nice as yours because you know. Dude, isn't it terrifying you get on and somebody's doing their podcast from like an iPad Pro and they're outside <laughs> and they don't have headphones and you're like, oh no, this is going to be like talking to the 1820s. Half of the people I talk to, but again, yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, one of the things that I, we have this solution that we just talked about, but one of the things that I think a lot of us are challenged with the fact is, first of all, just recognizing that we have a broken soundtrack, but then getting to that next step of, of recognizing it and then getting the help we need, whether it's from a therapist or you know, researching on how to do a show or how to book people. Like, how do we get from A to B successfully without getting caught up within ourselves, essentially? Yeah. So, I mean, what's interesting, um, we did a study for the, my previous book was called Finish. It was about yes, finishing. Yes. Another goals. great book, by the way. Oh, uh, thanks. 92% of all New Year's resolutions fail, according to the uh, University of Scranton. And so one of the things we did when we did the study was we tested, does fun matter? Like, does it matter that you enjoy the things you're trying to do? Um, because most people think that a goal has to be difficult to count. Like one of their soundtracks is if it's, if it doesn't, you know, no pain, no gain. If it's not impossible, it doesn't count. Like people <laughs> say terrible motivational stuff. Like if your dream doesn't scare you, it's not big enough. And so they think it has to be difficult and then they make these difficult, unfun goals and then they give up on them. So we tested fun um, and we found that people that made their goal fun were 36% more satisfied. That's one of the two factors you look at. Was I satisfied? How did I feel about the goal? The second factor you look at is performance. How did I actually do? And people that um, like were 
more engaged and had more fun were 41% more successful. So one of the first things you can do is say, okay, I've got this thing I want to do. I've got this goal I want to do. How do I make it fun? How do I make sure that it's fun, that it fills me, that it's life-giving versus going, okay, I, you know, take exercise as an example. I meet people all the time. They're like, I'm going to start running. I'll go, oh, that's great. And they go, yeah. And I'll say, do you like it? And they go, no, I hate running. That's how I know it's good for me. I hate it. And I think, well, you're going to quit it. Like do a goal, like do a form of exercise you enjoy that will engage you. And so, yeah, one of the first things you can do is say, okay, what's something fun that moves me forward my goal? And it could be back to the podcast example, listen to three podcasts you really like and just take a couple notes. Like, what did the host do? What did the description say? Like, what, what was it about the title of it that made you excited to listen to it? There's all these things you can learn at a good pace versus I have to do a podcast tomorrow and it has to be, you know, Tim Ferriss level hour one. Joe Rogan, oh. you know, all these like, yeah, I got to get Seinfeld on as my first guest. Like, that's <laughs> good my, luck. That's my bar. Yeah, exactly. Or so, even somebody like yourself. I mean, I don't know what your betting process is like, mm-hmm. but. I imagine, you know, working with your publicist, Ashley, right? I mean, there's mm-hmm. like questions that have to be answered and things that you want to know. I think for you, there's you kind of ask those questions right out of the gate sure. when you're making decisions. Obviously, you've refined the process over time. So I mean, you, I'm learning. I'm like everybody else. I'm learning. I'm trying to figure it out. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, but you do a good job. Essentially, like you're able to, you know, separate wheat from chaff, so to speak, and kind of figure out, you know, is this a program? But my point that I'm belaboring here is the fact that you just have to start something, you know, just do it. People ask me all the time, how did you get so-and-so? What's your process? Well, I've been doing it for four years and I've worked really hard, but I also have a very long way to go as well. And I hear no all the time, but you can't let those no's deter you and have that be a, a broken soundtrack in your head. Um, well, and you can't assume no. That's the other thing. Yeah, right? that's There's, the other you'd thing. You'd be surprised how many people are excited about it. Or if you yeah. ask them in the right time, if somebody's doing a book launch, then they're more, you know, very easy thing to come talk about. Like it's different. And so, no, I mean, that's one of the soundtracks I teach in the book is momentum is messy. Like momentum is messy. We yeah. think it's going to get cleaner and cleaner and cleaner. But in my experience, it just gets messier, messier, messier as you have multiple things that are going on and you keep going to a new level. I mean, that's another one of the soundtracks I listen to is fear gets a voice, not a vote. Like it's going to have a voice, like it's going to be there and I'm going to pay attention to it, but it doesn't get a vote. It doesn't get to tell me you don't get to start a podcast. You don't get to try something new. You don't get to start a YouTube channel. So I always kind of keep that in mind when I'm starting something new. Yeah, very important. You deal with families a lot. You talk about the five uh, the five signs your family needs a new soundtrack. Let's touch on this really quick because this is something else. We have a lot of families that listen. How do you recognize those things, whether you're dealing with gender, traditional rules or roles, or you're just in a family dynamic and things just aren't really going the way that you think or hope they should? What are some tips or some of these signs if you could expound on those here, I know we're, we have a time limit here, just kind of sure. knowing about family and when it's time to just sort of not blow things up, but really just readjust, recalculate and reroute. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the first thing I'd say is listen. Like, I think that so much of understanding your thoughts is about self-awareness and it's the same with families. Okay. So you listen, okay. What are, you know, what are the things we're saying? What, how are we communicating? Um, that, that's, that's the first thing I'd say. Um, the second thing is you ask. 
I think that it's a great, you know, what's been fascinating about soundtracks is how many parents have said, I've already taught it to my kids and they got it. Like kids get soundtracks faster than adults because adults have 20 years of broken soundtracks to unlearn. And if you teach a kid the truth at nine, at 10, at 11, at 12, they start to sprint. Um, the third thing is you start before you're ready. Like every parent feels like I'm not ready. Like I'm not, I don't know how to do it. I'm not ready. You're never ready. No one was like, okay, now I'm perfectly ready to have a kid. Now I'm perfectly ready to launch a kid to college. I've got, my oldest daughter goes to college. Uh, she graduates next spring. I'm not ready for that. Like, but it's coming. Um, and so you start before you're ready. I always tell somebody, if you want a kind 16 year old, teach a six year old kindness and give them 10 years to practice. And so you start, you start before you're ready. Um, the fourth one goes back to the finished book. You make it fun. Like you don't make it, you know, no kid wants you to sit down and go, Hey, we're going to have a deep family conversation today. So everybody <laughs> oh, get, like, yeah, I'm out. Like I'm out. So like you try to make it fun. And then the, the fifth thing is you don't force it. You don't force it as you're a dad. You understand this. Like the times I've tried to force quality moments, it never goes well. The, uninterested, like, uninterested. But if I'll be present, if I'll show up to do the little things, if I'll throw the Frisbee, you know, if I'll do the things that I might not say at the outset, oh, this is going to lead to something. Those situations often lead to something. And whether that's, you know, like that's where I remember it's funny, like when your kids are learning to drive, there's this part of you that's like, hooray, like I'm so tired of carpooling. But then when they do, you realize, oh yeah, that was an important thing for us. Like every time I drove my daughter to band practice, I got to have 15 uninterrupted moments with her in the car. And that was a thing. So you don't force it. It's, you know, these things take time. Sometimes, you know, sometimes it's unraveling things that, you know, maybe got in the way broken soundtracks, but yeah, I think there's, you can be really patient as a parent, I think is a big part of it. Yes. I think there's just so many valuable things. And now we are in that stage of, well, dad, remember you promised or this or that. And there is a sincere disappointment and that you can change that broken soundtrack by just, like you said, being present. My goodness, this is such an amazing book, and we will link it in our show notes for people to read. They absolutely have to in your other book as well. One last question. There's a lot of humor in this. You're a funny guy. I mean, you're, we talked about jokes earlier, and you got Jim Gaffigan to endorse the book. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So, I mean, I always tell people growing up, uh, comedy was a currency in our family. My yeah. dad communicated with humor. My youngest brother, Bennett, I think is probably the funniest person in our family. Um, and so, and my brother, Will's funny. My sister, Molly's funny. Um, and so I grew up around it. My dad, when I turned 18, used to take me to comedy clubs in Boston and we'd go see Brian Regan um, or like old school Carrot Top. Um, and so like we went to a bunch of comedians when I was younger. So I always valued it. And so love, you know, love it as a form of communication. Um, I write business books. And so in that space, there's not a ton of humor. So it gives me a chance to kind of stand out and have a niche. So it's something I enjoy doing. Plus it allows me to stand out. And then really first connected with Jim Gaffigan on a book I did called do over a couple of years ago, he endorsed that. And we just connected via social media. I think that's one of the real gifts of social media is that for all its problems. And there's plenty, like there's plenty of places where it's toxic and it's not fun and it's just people attacking each other, but it still gives you a connection to people you'd never have a connection to. Like in the 1980s, like, I mean, like they're like, if I, you know, in the 1980s, say it was like Eddie Murphy doing delirious and raw, I couldn't like, how would I have found Eddie Murphy? Like I would have had to call his publicist. Like I would have been screened, like 
pre-screened out before I ever got to Eddie Murphy. But now because of Twitter, because of Instagram, you have a chance to connect with people. So that's how I, I got connected to Jim Gaffigan was just on Twitter, just us interacting, me supporting his work. And then me saying, Hey, and again, there goes that. No, like there's the broken soundtrack would tell you this person is going to say, no, they're going to, I guess we're worried. They're going to say like, no, and not only no, you're dumb. Like, no, and not only no, I can't your podcast you sucks. We're your not podcast interested. Sucks. Like, no, <laughs> not only no, I listen to every episode and they get worse and worse. The deeper you, go <laughs> you know, like, what are they going to say? And so it's not easy for me, but like with this book, like asking Laird Hamilton, who's this like American surfing legend, like he's yeah. just, it's like, like him and Kelly Slater are kind of America's surf godfathers. And I, I asked him via Instagram and connected with his wife, Gabby Reese, who's like America's most famous female volleyball player. Cause I just thought a dude that rides 60 foot waves thinks about what, how he thinks. So that would be fun. Like when I'm looking at endorsements, I'm like, I want somebody who's really funny. Okay. I'm going to ask Jim Gaffigan. I want somebody who's, you know, done a ton of research. I'm going to, you know, ask Daniel Pink. I'm going to ask Laird Hamilton. And so I try to get a pretty wide range um, of endorsements. And then if somebody does say no, I try to react the way that I hope people react when I say no. Like I told somebody no today because it just, I didn't have time to read the book. Like it's, you know, it's a season where I'm kind of, I'm still in like launch mode and I didn't have time to read the book. And I told them I can't endorse your book. And so I hope they respond and go, Oh, Hey, thanks. I appreciate it. I completely understand. And that's what I try to respond when somebody tells me no to versus going, like, oh, my feelings are hurt. Like, I can't believe they said no. Like, you got to react that way because the other way just turns into bitterness. It'll kill you, especially in this business when you are trying to book yeah. talent for your show. And 100%. I hear no a hundred times more than I hear yes. But when you get that Who's yes. Who's a yes you're excited about? Who was like a yes you're thrilled about? Howie Mandel recently oh, he was yeah. on my show. Like, I, yeah. I had Joel McHale and they actually happened to share the same publicist. And so I got Joel and then I Dude, asked that's for, amazing. Yeah, that's I amazing. asked for I asked for Howie right after that. And uh, he I love that. I, he said no at the time. Well, he wasn't doing press at the moment. They said follow back up in six months. So I emailed his publicist, said, hey, yada, yada. Howie's down. Let's do it. So I think anytime oh. I get a yes from anybody, really, I mean, I was equally thrilled to get you because, like I said, Going back to the beginning of our conversation, when I saw you on your interview with Derek Webb, who I'm a fan of his music, and he talked sure. to you, and I was like, man, I want to get John on the podcast. But then, of course, my self-doubt is like, well, there's no way he's going to say yes. I mean, this guy's showing up on national radio. But really, yeah, to answer your question, I mean, obviously, you, of course, you know, goes without saying, but Howie Mandel, for sure. Like, I mean, and then that's the other thing you you do your research, see these people popping up places. They're doing promotions for things. You would be surprised. I tell people all the time in these conferences I do for podcasting, just ask. Like You never know what the answer is going to be. Because, you know, I think it's more about wanting to get exposure and do things and promote things versus like, you know, it's concerned about the reach. How far is it going to go? But just ask. But yeah. To answer no, your I, question, I totally it was amazing. Howie Mandel. Howie Mandel he was amazing. the best. And That's Joe somebody McHale you should. Me. I mean, it's just, and you know, because you're like, well, there's no way. But then you just ask. And then all of that leads to the credibility later to get other people and to ask. And again, I hear no all the time or I'll see people show up on these 
smaller shows. And I'm like, well, how did that person get him or her? I asked for him and then I got a no. And so then my self-doubt goes into uh, my, yeah, yeah, totally. Like, why the heck would they go on that podcast? But yeah. really, it's all about timing. It's just about aligning your desires, yeah. writing things down. You know, when you don't know if they know like their kids go to lacrosse together. Like you don't, I mean, yeah. like you don't like so it's it's so that's part of the you never really know. So I, I mean that's one of the soundtracks I try to uh, yeah, you don't so it's like assume they're busy. Like when I text somebody and they don't respond, I shouldn't assume they hate me. I should yeah. assume they're or busy. they're ignoring you or black they're ignoring or blackballing me and they're like, you. Oh. Yeah. So like versus like when somebody <laughs> texts me and I don't respond, I hope they assume I'm busy because 99 times out of 100, it's not that I'm like, oh, man, I'm so mad at Boris. Like, I can't believe Boris <laughs> did that. Like, I don't I've just got busy. I opened your text at the neighborhood pool and then I forgot to respond to it. So, I, yeah, that's kind of one of my, you know, one of the soundtracks I listen to. Well, this book is fantastic. Turn Overthinking from a Super Problem into a Superpower Soundtracks, a Surprising Solution to Overthinking. It's a New York Times bestseller. That's amazing. And it's available everywhere. And uh, we will put a link to this book in our show notes. People can buy it from Amazon. Check it out. It's an absolute must. John, thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. I was honored to be here. That brings today's show to a close. Goodly do. Thanks for stopping by. If you enjoyed the episode, feel free to share it with a friend and subscribe. It's absolutely free. The views and opinions of the guests do not necessarily reflect those of the host. Autobots, roll out. Go home.